The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, God bless you, Ecclesia. It's kind of unbelievable to me that it's, this is my first time to teach you uh, in 2023. So I hope it's not too late to say Happy New Year, and it's Happy Lunar New Year. So um, there's a lot to celebrate. Is it too late or it's still okay? Okay, good. It's, it feels like the thing we need to all be rooting for constantly, like, God, please let 2023 be awesome. Like, whatever it takes. We'd like to see a war come to an end in Ukraine. We'd like to see some things happen that make the world uh, a truly better place. Most weeks, when I get up to preach, I have this sense like, I wish we'd done a better job of letting people know what I was gonna preach on, because you'd really want to show up and be there, because I have this excitement about what I'm gonna share. Today is one of those weeks that I told the staff, like, don't let anybody find out what I'm preaching about, because they might not come, because I'm gonna talk to you about hell today. And literally, for most people, if you're like me, I grew up with sermons on hell that literally scared the hell out of me. And, and there was this thing of like, and I, I don't remember, I, I remember not knowing the Bible, but being a kid and just having this sense like, that doesn't seem right. Anybody ever remember leaving church scared? Right. And that sense of like, and the best thing I could do at the beginning of the sermon for you today is just apologize for people that have gone before me. I, I think they probably had some good intentions, but there was the sense of maybe like fear would be a shortcut to faith. That we could, like fearing hell would be more motivating than loving God. And what I've learned is like fear works as a really short term motivator. It doesn't work over the long haul. And that actually painting a picture of what I think the Bible actually paints a picture of, a loving God is much more important. And to help you dismantle some of the things that you thought you understood from scripture about hell that may not be true. And the hard part for you to hear today is I believe there is a hell. I just think that the reality of how it's described in the Bible and what it is, is radically different than what you've come to understand or what was portrayed in the middle ages. There became this um, chasm between it's heaven or hell, you're going to one. And they were both portrayed with radically different imagery, right? And what I want to invite you to is a, a little bit different understanding, but one that I think comes directly from Scripture. And the way that we're getting there today, we're in a series called Sacred Frame. So I had the opportunity to look at movies and films and things I love and then share with you from them. And for me, I go back to an old reliable, one of my favorite all-time uh, television series is a show called The Sopranos. It was on HBO. And uh, I loved it so much. Uh, that many, many years ago, I read a book called The Gospel According to Tony Soprano. And I've got loads of them around, so I'm giving to you. So if you want a copy, if you like The Sopranos or you have a coworker, or friend or family member that does, pretend like you bought him a gift and take one and, uh, and tell him, I paid like $19.99 for this because don't tell him my pastor gave it to me for free. Uh, I could unpack, like there's so much, one of the things I love about all art and film and music and television is it, it brings um, up the questions um, that we're asking. And The Sopranos brought them up constantly. In fact, the reason I wrote a book on it was because I ended up in the steam room at my gym one day having a conversation about hell because of an episode of The Sopranos. And I realized like, People want to talk about this. So I can unpack all kinds of lessons of faith from this show, uh, but the one that comes up in the very first episode, the pilot, is about hell. 
So Tony Soprano is a mob boss in New Jersey. He's got the New Jersey mansion. He's the boss. He's got the power. He's got all the money. He, he loads up on pleasure constantly. He'll be drinking a glass of expensive cognac while he smokes, smokes a cigar, while he eats amazing food, right? It's like pleasure is his life. And yet, he's a mess inside. He's scared and afraid. He's insecure. And in the middle of a birthday party for his son, he's grilling hamburgers and he collapses over the grill. He ends up in the hospital, afraid for what he's gonna face. And his wife, Carmela, comes to see him as he's getting ready to go into an MRI to try to find out what's wrong with him. Dr. Cosimano put me in the hospital. Give me every kind of test. When you're in the MRI, there's a microphone by your head if you get claustrophobia and have to come out. Only we suggest that you don't do that because we only have to start over again from the beginning. Okay. Hey, come. But you might want some company. Yeah. 6.30 in the morning. How the kids? They're worried about you. I told Anthony Jr. we'd rain check his birthday. Okay. You think I got a brain tumor? Well, we're gonna find out. What a bedside manner. Very encouraging. And what are you gonna not know? Had some good times. Had some good years. Here he goes now with the nostalgia. Hey, all I'm saying is no marriage is perfect. Well, having that Kumar on the side helps. I told you I'm not seeing him anymore. How do you think I feel having that priest around all the time? Don't even go there, all right? Father is a spiritual mentor. He's helping me to be a better Catholic. Yeah. Well, we all got different needs. What's different between you and me is you're going to hell when you die. I spend a lot of time with people in hospitals, and when people are afraid, telling them they're gonna go to hell is not <laughs> like the most comforting thing that you can offer. But the truth is, like, Tony Soprano is driven by a, by a fear of hell. It comes up in this show over and over and over again. And you know what? I meet with Ecclesians and people in our city. I've had grown people, grown men, tell me they believe they're going to hell because of something they did when they were a teenager. Like, in fear. You realize, like, your brain wasn't even fully developed yet, right? Like, if you didn't make mistakes as a teenager, you, you didn't do it right. Right, like, you're just, like, God's grace and forgiveness is bigger than your mistakes. And this reality of, like, what we've made out to be hell, this fear of hanging over us. It's not a healthy way to see God. In fact, the scriptures invite us to fix our eyes on heaven, but it never says fix your eyes on hell. It tells us some stories of it and invites us to consider what life without God might be like. 
But it doesn't call us to focus on it. In fact, you'll hear the opposite. When you focus on heaven, and you, if you really believe, as I believe, that the people that I love, I'm going to be reunited with, that because of the love of Jesus, that we're going to be restored, we're going to live a life in eternity that's better than this life. It allows you to make choices in this life um, that are self-sacrificial, that are caring, that are loving. It enables you to see the world in a radically different way. A choice not to worship God and push God away and choose not to spend eternity with God is a radically different experience. As The Sopranos goes on, this theme comes up over and over and over again. In fact, it becomes most explicit uh, in a second season episode where um, Tony's nephew, they're in that line of work, he gets shot, he actually dies and he comes back. So he has this experience and he comes back and he tells them when he comes up, like, I went to hell. And pretty theologically profound, actually. For Christopher, who's an Italian mobster, hell was an Irish bar (laughs) where you lose every hand of poker for eternity, right? (laughs) We had some kids in the church that apparently literally talked about hell on their way to to church this morning. So they came up and told me, and the mom was saying, tell them what you said. And, And the brother said, to me, heaven will be filled with cats, right? And his sister said, that sounds like hell to me, right? (laughs) I'm like, depends on who you are, right? In fact, people often ask, like, will my dog be in heaven, right? Anybody want, how many of you wondered this? I'm not going to talk about cats because I'm not a cat person, so I'm just going to offend all of you. But C.S. Lewis says, he says, if if it wouldn't be heaven to you without that animal, that animal will be there. So for me, there's some animals I'll be reunited with in heaven, and it matters to me. But what hell is, um, and who goes to heaven, and who goes to hell, and why, uh, was something Tony thought a lot about. So when he spends time with his therapist, Dr. Melfi, um, it's the main thing that comes up. All right, so I cheat. I, I used to cheat. I'm not getting spayed. End of subject. You brought up the vasectomy. Now you don't want to talk about it. You asked me what was going on. I saw in the news about a gangland shooting. Yeah. Is that your nephew, Christopher, that you've spoken of before? In the papers, they said he was in critical condition. Gonna be fine. Have they found the person that shot him yet? No. Have you? I'm not trying to pry into that part of your life. I know our deal. But I've heard you say before that you love this young man. Christopher was clinically dead for about a minute. He thinks he had one of those near-death experiences. Says he visited hell, and I told him he'd be back permanent. Who's they? It was a dream, combined with the morphine. But now he thinks he's gonna go to hell when he dies over it. Do you think he'll go to hell? No. Yeah. 
He's not the type that deserves hell. Who do you think does? The worst people. The twisted and demented psychos who, who, who kill people for pleasure. The cannibals, the degenerate and torture little kids and they kill babies. The Hitlers, the Paul Potts, not my nephew. What about you? What? Hell? You've been listening to me? No. For the same reasons. We're soldiers, you know. Soldiers don't go to hell. It's war. Soldiers, they kill other soldiers. We're in a situation where everybody involved knows the stakes. And if you're gonna accept those stakes, you gotta do certain things. It's business. We're soldiers. We follow codes, orders. Tony thought a lot about it. I guess a lot of us have as well. Maybe like me, because you heard sermons that scared you when you were young, or because you wonder, or because you feel a sense of guilt. And part of what it means to follow Jesus means that we get to live into this forgiveness that means we're not worried about these kind of things. But we ask, like, you see a commercial for atheists, right? And they kind of bring up, they kind of mock that people of faith believe in hell. So what is hell? C.S. Lewis says this, he says, um, hell's a place where the doors are locked from the inside. He's saying, hell is a place where people choose, and maybe you've seen it, maybe you've seen it in yourself or in others, that they choose to say, I'm going to isolate myself from the God that made the world and the people that he made. And maybe not even isolate, maybe I'm going to bring harm to those people in a way that isolates me even further. I, you need to know, when the Bible talks about hell and it talks about flames and worms and... When you read the Bible, if you're reading it literally all the time, you're not reading it very well. So it doesn't mean literally we're gonna be burning or there's gonna be worms. When, when uh, the Bible describes heaven and it says there are streets of gold, it doesn't literally mean there are streets of gold. It doesn't mean there's some weird Liberace style designer like that does Las Vegas hotels that designed heaven, right? It, it's not gonna be some cheesy, weird place. It means even the roads are beautiful. It means everything there is beautiful. It's a metaphor. Now, N.T. Wright, a great theologian says, the bad news is, it's not that there are literal flames and literal worms. He says, the bad news is it may be worse than that. The kind of isolation that leaves you alone for eternity might be worse than physical pain. The, the best way I can try to attempt what I think N.T. Wright is trying to say and what I imagine hell to be is if you, you felt a tinge in your life of depression where you feel alone and you withdraw from people, if you can imagine that momentum hurling through eternity to become more and more isolated and withdrawn, that would be a hard thing. Heaven is the opposite. It's a communal place. It's a place where I believe we're going to serve one another. What the Bible, I, I need to preach another series on heaven at some point, but I can tell you this, Jesus said, I won't drink the new wine, the really good wine with you until we're in heaven. He, he talks about heaven as a banquet table where, where we feast together. 
If hell is a place, it's the opposite kind of place. So let me uh, allow you to hear directly from Jesus about hell. This is a parable that Jesus taught on hell. And this is what he says in Luke chapter 16. There was a rich man who had everything. Purple clothing of fine quality and high fashion. Gourmet meals every day and a large house. And just outside his front gate lay this poor homeless fellow named Lazarus. Lazarus was covered in ugly skin lesions. He was so hungry he wished he could scavenge scraps from the rich man's trash and dogs would come and lick the sores on his skin. The poor fellow died and was carried on the arms of the heavenly messengers to the embrace of Abraham. Then the rich fellow died and was buried and found himself in the place of the dead. In his torment, he looked up and off in the distance, he saw Abraham with Lazarus in his embrace and he shouted out, Father Abraham, please show me mercy. Would you send that beggar Lazarus to dip his fingertip in water and cool my tongue? These flames are hot and I'm in agony. But Abraham said, son, you seem to be forgetting something. Your life was full to overflowing with comforts and pleasures. And the life of Lazarus was just as full with suffering and pain. So now in his time of comfort, and now is your time of agony. Besides, a great canyon separates you and us, and nobody can cross over from our side to yours or from your side to ours. Please, Father Abraham, I beg you, the formerly rich man continued, send Lazarus to my father's house. I have five brothers there and they're on the same path I was on. If Lazarus warns them, they'll choose another path and won't end up here in torment. But Abraham said, why send Lazarus? They already have the law of Moses and the writings of the prophets to instruct them. Let your brothers hear them. No, Father Abraham, he said, they're already ignoring the law and the prophets. But if someone came back from the dead, then they'd listen for sure. Then they changed their way of life. And Abraham answered, if they're not listening to Moses and the prophets, they won't be convinced even if someone comes back from the dead. Ecclesia, what do you notice in this parable of Jesus? Just out loud, tell me something that stands out to you. He wants companionship. He wants companionship, right? He, he's alone. And he wants someone to show him comfort, right? Which is, is fascinating. So the rich man, what, what do you notice about that, right? Their titles. You've got the rich man, which by the way, in every parable of Jesus, people were just characterized by who they were. You may have a historic figure like Abraham, but this is the first parable of Jesus where one of the fictional characters has a name, Lazarus. So the rich man, what does he want, right? He wants Lazarus to come and comfort him. He still thinks he's the rich man, right? He still thinks he's the one to be served. But it's fascinating, right? That the rich man is just the rich man. It makes you wonder, like, who are we? If Jesus was to tell a story about it, are you just the teacher? Am I just the preacher? 
Just the lawyer? Or do you have a name? In the Bible, especially among Hebrews, if you had a name, that's powerful. Especially if you know their whole name, right? If you hear somebody say your full name, right? Anybody else you think your mom's there? If I hear James Christopher C, right? I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, like I'm in trouble again. Am I the only one that has, like, you didn't even know my first name was James, did you? Now you do. Now people are gonna come up and say my full name just to mess with me, and I'm gonna think I'm in trouble. Lazarus had a name, rich man was just a rich man. What else do you notice? It's 11 a.m., you've had coffee. If you notice nothing in a teaching of Jesus, then we're all in trouble. There's a large canyon that separates. He says, we're, we're in totally different places. We're in different places, but we can talk, right? You're like, do you have a can with a string or what? But they're talking back and forth, but it's, there's a canyon that separates. We're in radically different places, apparently not physically radically different places, but spiritually radically. Anybody been in the same room with somebody and you're like, we're not in the same room? It has that kind of feel, right? We can talk, but we're in different places. We're not having the same experience, right? It's fascinating the way the parable plays out. Close enough to talk, but a a world, a world away. What else? What's that? He wants to save his brothers, right? And he realizes like, hey, this is, this is not the way I should have lived. But, and this is the part, Ecclesia, we've got to grapple with. As people of faith, it, there are many, and again, I'll just say, I'm not a universalist. There's nothing about me that's a universalist. I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus was fully God and fully human. I believe that what he did on, in the world mattered, that his sacrifice mattered. And I believe ultimately that the decisions that we make here on earth have eternal significance, right? So part of what we hear from this story, I believe, is that what we do on this earth actually matters. Whether we respond to the love of God or we reject the love of God. So one of the ways this plays out, right, is that we have to question So there's some that would say, if hell exists in any way, shape, or form, God can't be a loving God. There are others that would say, have you looked at the world? So I don't know what happened today fully. I woke up to an alert that there was a shooting in California. We've woken up to many, And we have to wonder, like, what's happening with the world? Whether we hear, Tony Soprano says it's for Hitler and Paul Potts, right? And I would say, like Putin, like, are we, am I gonna share space in heaven with Putin? I don't think so. I think there are eternal consequences for the reality of choices that bring harm to people. So when you, you hear from theologians that are well-versed in the way of the, how the world is, right? One of my favorites is a, a theologian named Miroslav Bolf. And in his book, Exclusion and Embrace, I don't know if I'll read you the whole quote, but let me read you part of it. This is what he says. He says, uh, my thesis that the practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance will be unpopular with many Christians. This is what he's saying. If Christians are to live like Martin Luther King Jr. and live out nonviolence, he says the only way to do it is to believe that God will bring consequences to people that deserve it. So I'll skip the rest of it because it gets really wordy and theological. But what he says is, if you try to live out this version of like a, you know, um, 
a Sesame Street Christianity that just says everything's going to be fine in a war zone, it doesn't work. Like in modern day Ukraine, people want to know someone's going to pay a price. When we were at the Poland border this year, serving people on the way, Mitzi spent more time in um, the tents as I went into Ukraine to meet with pastors. And so at those tents, um, kids would come through. And kids were doing, all we had to offer was like an art station. You could charge your phone, eat some food, rest before you made the next leg of your journey. Because when you crossed the border, it took, you know, a day and a half of waiting in line. So families would get there, kids would rest. And, and you know what every kid drew when they were given a pencil and crayons? Every kid. We kept looking at the artwork. Every drawing. Putin getting killed. Every drawing. Every kid wanted to see that man die. Why? Because he hurt my family. He hurt my people. There is a sense, as people of faith, that either we're going to spend our life trying to get vengeance against other people, or we're going to have a trust that there is a God who will even the score at the end, that you will pay a price if you choose to reject that people are made in the image of God and reject God and bring harm to people. There is something about understanding hell and divine vengeance that allows us to sleep at night, right? So eternal consequences, this forever chasm. What else? Give me two more things before we go to communion. It's a teaching of Jesus. There's so much here, we could unpack it for a week. He accepted it was too late, right? Isn't it interesting that he's there and he could commune and ask a question, but he didn't say, he says, will you send Lazarus to comfort me? But he didn't say, get me out of here. He didn't say, what do I need to do to leave this place, right? For whatever reason, he accepted. This was the choice I made. I made a choice. And, and what it literally tells us, and again, this is part of what we have to wrestle with in the West. I think if there's any part of this story that's most convicting to me, it's the reality that he lived his life with every comfort. And the truth is, we're a people of comfort, right? I mean, every day we wake up. I hope in Lent we make some sacrifices about what we do. But the truth, it's hard not to be selfish in our world when I can get up every day and go, I think I want Korean barbecue today. Like, and you know what? If I do, I get it. It's Lunar New Year. I'm going to have great Vietnamese in just a little while with friends. Like, I can get up and go, I want tacos today. I'm going to get it every day. And this is what it said in that passage that, like, it's got to, all he wanted were the scraps from the trash. You realize how many people in the world are extra would be the matter of life and death for. Just our extra, just the stuff that flows out. And Jesus is like, he's telling a story, but he's, anybody feel poked in the eye by that part of the story? I do, right? I do, I, I can't, if I read the story, I don't feel like Lazarus. I, I can't quickly paint myself in the character of Lazarus. If I paint myself, anybody else? Like, I, I gotta, I'm, I'm the rich man. Amen. So I gotta make sure, or the rich woman, I gotta make sure that I don't live my life as the rich man the way that he did. Give me two more things that stand out. I know you got two more, yes. He what? 
God's word is our compass, right? That it guides us, that it's straight, that we know in the midst of it, right? We knew there was a way to live and the rich man knew there was a way to live, right? And he, he rejected it. So there is this sense. I think every day we wake up and we go, do I want to live with an acknowledgement that there is a loving God who made people in, in his image or not? And we reject it or we accept it. And it determines very much how we live. Give me one more from this side of the room. Somebody. What's that? He wanted to save his brothers, right? That he actually cared about his brothers. Yeah, that Abraham makes clear. A miracle won't do it. You're either going to accept the truth or you will reject the truth. But there is something within all of us, right? And I will just tell you, there are places that people go, you know, the gospel's hard to understand. And I go, okay. At the end of the day, this is the good news of Jesus, right? That I created the world and I made it and it's good. And I made people in my image. And I love them enough to come and show them how to live and how to love. And we can either accept that, that there is a loving God, or we reject it. And at the end of the day, there could be miracle after miracles. Now, I will tell you, I think there are a lot of people that have gotten off track with God because we were a bunch of losers, right? We just messed up. We were imperfect and we didn't point people towards Jesus very well. I think when I heard sermons that were about literally scare the hell out of you, it didn't do me much good. But you know what else I saw? I saw sweet little old ladies that cared about people and loved and gave and served. I, I saw people when somebody got sick in our church, people rallied around them and they cared for them and they displayed the kind of community to go, that's how I want to live. When, when people struggled and lost their job, they came around them and cared for them and lifted them up. I get to see it when we go to the Venezuela border and there are people that go, we are thriving because you cared about us. And there are people you won't even know you're gonna get to heaven and you'll be like, we got clean water because of you and we ate because of you and our church was sustained because of you and my faith was sustained and that, Ecclesia, is good news. So this is what I wanna invite you to consider. Fix your eyes, not on hell. Hell would be a lonely place. Rejecting God would be a sad way to live. I don't know how people get by in life without faith, much less eternity. But to accept the love of God means I accept his grace and his forgiveness. There's one, well, when we think about heaven, it leads us to a better place. Now, who's in heaven? I can tell you whoever's there is there because of Jesus that Jesus loves all people and wants all of us to be there. They say the most popular phrases in heaven will be, hey, what are you doing here, right? <laughs> and where's so-and-so? Like, they seem super religious. How are they not here, right? I can tell you, Jesus is like, you don't know who's gonna be there. I can also tell you that to accept or reject God, it's, it's really up to us. The difference between heaven and hell, it's often said is just this phrase. It's, thy will be done. And the question is, do we live in a way that says to God, God, thy will be done? Or ultimately in our choosing, does God turn to us and say, thy will be done? You have chosen. 
Ecclesia, none of you are perfect and none of you will be. But I hope as we walk together that we choose the love of Jesus and the path of Jesus. I've seen firsthand that it leads to a beautiful life. It leads us to share and to give and to forgive. And giving and forgiving is part of what makes life beautiful. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.